Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Dan Oliverio, author, public speaker, and chubby chaser. And today I am basking in the warm afterglow of having finished the WandaVision series. I just love that. And if you haven't seen it, that's okay. It's wonderful. Hmm. It's Very nice. wonderful. It's wonderful. Boo. Oh, Start God. over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub living here in West Hollywood. And um, I'm also in that wonderful post WandaVision glow. My name is Michael. I am a chaser and I am uh, I'm in a WandaVision dry spell. I haven't had any WandaVision yet. Oh. And uh, I'm very jealous of your WandaVision afterglow. But I'm sure I'll get there one day. I just believe hard <laughs> enough. <laughs> My name's Don. I'm a big chubby guy living in sunny Hollywood. And today I am Wanda I'm a, I am the day after Christmas WandaVision guy. It's it's done. It's over. Oh the, the adrenaline the crash. crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, 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 sad, <laughs> the depression. Uh, the, sadness, the sadness of Boxing Day. Yeah, <laughs> especially because WandaVision was such a lovely surprise that I keep looking forward to the next uh Winter Soldier and the Falcon, just like, that's going to be exactly what I think it is. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's just going to be what I'm expecting, you know? Mm-hmm. So, welcome back to the Big yeah. Fat Gay Podcast. <laughs> so glad you could spend some more time with us. We have, we, we're, we're back at, we're back to our, our usual form this week. At least I hope we are, as far as like yeah. a more traditional episode format. It's uh, You mean doing easy. the first? Doing the beginning do, of the show first? Do, yes, doing the first part first. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's do this. Um, I, so uh, the only thing I can say about this is Dolce & Banana. Okay, Trevor, go. Okay, <laughs> Sorry. so uh, I saw this in Vogue Business, which truthfully I didn't really know Vogue Business was a thing, but I mean, I guess of course it is. <laughs> you, everything's um, a thing, Trevor. Everything's a, a thing. <laughs> but Dolce & Gabbana uh, and Donatella Versace talking about plus-size fashion which um, seems like an oxymoron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically it's so this article's talking about how these, you know, major high end fashion brands are starting to be like, Oh, you mean like there's fat people who will wear clothes if we sell them? <laughs> and we can, there's, we can make more money. I think it's also the the case that fewer and fewer people are wearing haute couture in their bedrooms to, to zoom call with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically they're desperate, so now they're willing to come after a different audience. Yeah, barely, barely. They're I, considering it. It should be said that they're considering. Yes. Plus I can't size. conceive. Like I would never buy. Like I would never buy Abercrombie and Fitch, even if they started making clothes in my size, because of the statements they made about my body, intrinsic to their marketing and their existence for decades. Yes, but but to so, be fair, to be fair, that Versace has been making plus size clothes for a while. They just you know would you know have the wouldn't put them in their stores for Christ's sake. They don't want fat people in there, but uh, they have like, I remember getting a beautiful pair of you know, black velvet slacks for an ex of mine and they were gorgeous. They were expensive as hell, but they were gorgeous in size 56. Yeah. I just, I'm appreciating that, you know, in, in a time where we probably could have just called it a lost year at, at best, that the fact that COVID happened and they lost so much money on their sales is forcing them to consider other avenues. Like it's kind of like what we said in the uh, you know Washington is is including uh, uh, obesity as its protected class. It's like it's it's the right result for the wrong reasons, but like I'll take the win basically. Well, and the thing to remember here is that fashion follows the rules of fashion, 
like whatever is fashionable. And right now it's mm. fashionable to mention body positivity and it's fashionable to mention, mention plus size clothing. And so they have put plus size models on their runway. And now they're pondering the possibility <laughs> of putting plus size clothes on the market. I think but that's the- <laughs> so perfect because literally the end of this article ends with <laughs> uh, Gen Z are specifically holding brands accountable. In our research, we found that the Gen Z consumer cares about movements. They will stand with the plus size consumers, even if they themselves are not plus size. And we expect this attitude to trickle down to other consumers. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that just makes there's, my skin crawl. There's yeah. money in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, fashion okay. is about fashion. Big shocker. I mean, it's honest. It's, it's honest. Yeah, there you, you know, go, Don. It's exactly right. It's honest. And, you know, I mean, I, I respect them more for saying that out loud than making up a <laughs> bullshit answer that you know has nothing to do with exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, we feel so bad for not catering to fat people bullshit no you don't and and it's something <laughs> as we always say it's something that, it's that's your t-shirt great. baby that's your t-shirt it's something. i've been thinking about that more and more than that <laughs> if we do some merch the first thing's going to be it's something yeah um, i i wholeheartedly agree <laughs> well thank you dolce and banana i'm never going to not say that by the way <laughs> shout out 30 rock fans so i actually didn't see this next thing we get we have a. Uh, until literally this morning, there's a new movie coming out with our, our very favorite Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer, who we haven't yes. talked much about. No, um, I who is awesome. awesome. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She is Ma? fucking fantastic. Has anyone else seen Ma? No, I Not wanted yet. to when it came out. She it, looks. Is it insane? I really. It's want it insane. insane. It's so good. It <laughs> is like, I think Ma now, I think should have like horror icon status. Like Freddy mm. Krueger, Jason, <laughs> Ma. Um, they did not leave it open for a sequel. I think they, sh- I mean, that never has stopped a horror franchise yeah, from resurrecting a movie. I want Ma 2. <laughs> I really I wanted Ma? to see it. <laughs> yes. It's Octavia, for those who don't know or don't care, it's Octavia Spencer. As far as I have seen, I haven't seen the movie, but the trailers were just her being absolutely batshit insane. And that's pretty much all you need to do to sell me on an Octavia Spencer movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> sure, the tires squeal, the U-turn is pulled, and we're back on the road. Um, <laughs> the trailer for a Netflix movie called Thunder Force starring Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. Um, yes. It looks wonderful. But the premise, is, is, the premise is that Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCarthy are accidental superheroes. So they're mm-hmm. fat women in their 40s who become superheroes, and it is awesome. It's also directed by Melissa McCarthy's husband, who also directed her in, what was the film, Trevor? Uh, uh, most of her great stuff. Uh, uh, super Intelligence. Super Intelligence, which oh, I think yeah. we, we mentioned before, is really great because all the normal people, like, are fat and if they cast a thin person they're like usually sort of snide or bitchy or (laughs) undesirable (laughs) but it's like like there's a scene with the receptionist the receptionist is you know she's fat why well because she's a person in the movie you know and it's great yeah um it just looks like a raucous good time and a romp and it's on netflix so you can stream it uh Uh, coming to netflix april 9th uh, yes well uh moving right along this is a, a callback to uh, a fellow we brought up a couple episodes ago. Yes. Uh, let's go right along into Fat Watch. Yay! I'm vibing to the Fat Watch theme. He's got um, his little flailing arms. Yeah. No, I'm doing the like the 
robotic. Oh, the animal. wave. Yeah, the wave. <laughs> it's a one-man um, wave. No, so this uh, it. I don't know if it was an Instagram post or a tweet, um, but Jonah Hill posted in response to um, a very tabloidy article in the Daily Mail showing pictures of him on vacation. Yeah, the scandal was he took his shirt off at the beach. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he said, I don't think I've ever taken my shirt off in a pool until I was in my mid-30s in front of my family and friends. Probably would have happened sooner if my childhood insecurities weren't exacerbated by years of public mockery about my body by press and interviewers. So the idea that the media tries to play me by stalking me while surfing and printing photos like this and it can't phase me anymore is dope. I'm 37 and finally love and accept myself. This isn't a good for me post and it's definitely not a feel bad for me post. It's for the kids who don't take their shirt off at the pool. Have fun. You're wonderful and awesome and perfect. All my love. See, oh, I love that. I just really yeah. love that it, it, that he made it about the fat kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it, 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 I think something feels quite authentic about it in that he didn't like, he didn't sort of curate this moment and like post a picture of himself shirtless and then write all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like, something happened and his response to that was to turn it into something positive, um, which I'm always a big fan of. Yeah. I like that. He's sort of pushing back against that, you know, the scandal of fat people. Like, can can you believe this person is fat and they're in public at the same time? And they took the, it's just this, this in what that does to not, I mean, we've talked about like, you know, be kind, be be kind to your neighborhood celebrity, but Mm -hmm. it's also just when a publication, and I use the term loosely, like the Daily Mail does that, it's not just about the celebrity. It's about anybody fat who then feels mm-hmm. the scrutiny and the and the beat down because <laughs> there for the grace of God go they. Can I, <laughs> sorry, this is a slight tangent, but can I just share that I was once sort of accidentally part of a Daily Mail story. Um <laughs> I don't know. It's maybe not kosher for me to say exactly who, but I was, I was with a a fat celebrity, uh, just out having a perfectly normal day in West Hollywood, and somebody, some paparazzi, took a picture of us, and they, cre- they completely fabricated an entire story about what the picture was. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, one hundred, and it wasn't even a bad story. It wasn't even negative it was just completely lies um so for for those people out there who follow uh sites like that uh just know that you are almost certainly being lied to by some if not all of what they're writing just that's just my little psa for the world and the other half of it is pre-planned with various managers and publicity agents sure stuff so yeah it's just sort of a waste of time yeah Anyway, so fuck you, Daily Mail, and good job, Jonah Hill. Yeah. We love you, and thank you for making the world a little better. Hooray. Yay, Jonah Hill. Mm. Yay, Fat Watch. Well, as we move on to our main topic, we continue yeah. our theme of very juicy uh, <laughs> sexuality and relationship <laughs> episodes. Oh, my. <laughs> I don't know why when you said juicy, I thought blueberries. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's that kind of show. That's, that's not what I thought, Trevor. It's not what I thought. <laughs> um, so we have, I, I think I feel like we've brushed around the idea of age gap relationships and age gap dating. Um, 
but we haven't really talked a lot about it. And uh, at least three of the four of us have quite a bit of experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had a couple of people write us about it before over the years. And years, God, it feels like years doesn't it? <laughs> um, over the months. And I, I, I like this because there's so many related issues around this. And I think also the difference between dating somebody versus hookups and how we approach it. But let's let's start with the easy one. Uh, Trevor and Dan are sort of the quintessential example of a long-term May-December relationship with 24, 24. 24 years? years between us. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. Uh, congratulations, boys. Um, what has been the secret to your success and how can all of our listeners channel it? <laughs> Go. Right, so I think <laughs> I have to say one thing that, for me, like has made it less weird is uh, I was, uh, I was an accident baby. So like I was, my parents were older when they had me. So there's still a good gap in like the eight, which you're trying to say my parents. Yeah. What you're trying to say is like, it, it, I don't come off as dad because your dad is actually older than I am. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I, (laughs) I, I think that just helps. And I think it also just helps. Like, I think it's helped my parents too. Hmm. Yeah, at least he's um, not as old as us. Yeah, I suppose. Although, like, you know, Dan's friends all have kids that are like, thankfully, I think young enough to where it's like, you're not my peer. Something that's often said about us is that I tend to act and come off much younger than my years, and Trevor t- tends to come off much older than his years. <laughs> so we don't look like a. They clearly don't know you well. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they, don't, they don't know our birth certificates. Um, <laughs> the, so it's it's not. Like, I don't know. I mean, being in a relationship with Trevor, I never feel the age difference. And part of that, like, for example, I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of younger guys who say they can't get older guys to even give them the time of day because like, oh, my God, you're so young. I could never even think about talking to you. And like, you know, they're not underage. They're just, you know, 19. And they're Mm -hmm. trying to talk to a 30 year old or a 40 year old. And, you know, that's like, oh, my God, scandal. And I get the other thing of vice versa, where older guys uh, can tend to be like really afraid that, well, they won't get my jokes because they won't know any of the references. And how could I date someone who was who was born before the year 2000? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I the thing that works with me and Trevor is that our relationship isn't really based on like some of the traditional what do you have in common stuff. Sure. I think yeah. I, I think and 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 even when it is, I am flabbergasted and I'm old, so I can say flabbergasted <laughs> when like Trevor will actually get a reference to something from the 70s. I'm like, how do you know that? You know, our joke is who taught you that? And, <laughs> and he take he credits Nick at night. I feel like knowledge of uh, intergenerational stuff gets less and less as you go through the current generations. Like, oh, you mean like is they have less knowledge of previous generations? Yeah, like boomers seem to know everything that happened before them. Mm. Gen Xers, we grew up during syndication. So, and, you know, we had four channels in general. Mm. So we are, we have the same cultural touchstones as the boomers and, and that sort of thing. The older millennials have some of those touchstones and some of the stuff that I grew up with. But then when you head into Gen Z, like as syndication culture dropped away, like they have less exposure to uh, older content, music, movies, TV. Yeah, which is a lot ha- of our- they have to go find it. It's not just on TV. It's yeah, it's not just right in front of them and the only right. choice. I mean, right. I'm not blaming mm. them. They grew up in a generation where there was always something new to watch. I think also, like Dan was saying, like 
sometimes the the sort of pop culture connections are not necessarily what things are based on. And I think that just goes back to finding somebody that you're right for and mm-hmm. right with. Like there, it's the yeah. uniqueness of who the two of you are as a unit outside of whatever your contexts were when you were growing up. Um, and for me, so I, I've had a, a variety of experiences with older men. Uh, almost all of my, actually take it back. All of my relationships have been with somebody who was older, whether it was, significantly older, as much as 25 years. I think that's the most that it's ever been, 19, 20, 25, 15. You know, it's, it's all over the map. But most of my dating has been in that realm. And I, I, I still have found that it's, it's really just about how you interact with that person. And there was a lot of pressure that I put on myself to be older, like to just, I've mentioned this before, but just to like seem, feel, appear older than I was. And the less that I have felt like that's necessary, the less that I have felt like kind of pulled in the direction of a direction of dating somebody much, much older than I am. And so I think there's, for me, there's been kind of a balancing out that's happened. And what was helpful in that process was being able to acknowledge that, like Trevor was saying at the start of the segment, there, there are some, I guess, like weirdnesses to it. Like, like it's okay to acknowledge like, Oh, this is different from what most people experience and that's mm. not good or bad as opposed to just pretending like, yep, everything's fine. Th- this is, you know, it's, it's fine. Everything's fine. And then <laughs> maybe you're not addressing some of your own internalized issues or concerns or, um, stuff like that. Like I remember, uh, when I was dating somebody, uh, who's much older and I think I mentioned the story about maybe I did. I mention the story about being in the cab, and the driver, the cab driver looked back at us and was like, oh, is that your son? Yeah. So moments like that can really challenge your perception of yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you don't allow yourself the space to kind of work it out and you kind of pave over it, it I think it's going to come back to bite you in a relationship that is inherently different from mm-hmm. what, what most other people experience. Um, and most other people are not going to give you very good advice about it, too. Can I just say that? Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. yes. You're so right. You're so right there. Like oh. what sort of bad advice have you gotten? It, there's okay. So here's, here's a perfect example. One thing that I've been told most of my life in some form or another by people, a usually outside the gear world. Um, this is usually straight advice and B also not age gap, like the very traditional heteronormative, like we're both, we've met in college or whatever. And, and people that I know are looking at me dating somebody who's 20 years older and saying that they were concerned for me, and this is, of course, I'm also being the younger person, um, that the power imbalance wasn't going to be healthy. That, you know, this other person knows so much more and they're, I don't know, there was this concern. About oh, yeah, it's a huge the, concern for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. Well, I would speak to that because I will say that I actually had that concern myself, not just because I was 24 years older, I am 24 years older than Trevor, but also because I tend to, you know, I've, I've been a college professor and I'm sort of nurturing and uh, I can be paternal. And so I, I, ha- I had a concern that I didn't want to dad Trevor. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. really was, I, and, and I, I don't know, we talked about it a little bit, like, a little bit, I think, Trevor, but I was very concerned watching myself just to make sure that I'm not being 
substitute bad because Trevor and I met when he was what 19 is that right the first time we met I was 19 I think we started dating I was 20 21 or 22 yeah so there's a lot that happens in a person's life at that age and while it's appropriate to be part of those changes it is not so appropriate to mastermind those changes Mm -hmm. I mean not not that I was even capable of that you can't mastermind someone's you know development but there there is there is a phenomenon where somebody can accord you a lot of power and you can take that lot of power and the problem with that is when you're not aware of it and so Mm -hmm. it's not so much that there is a it is an asymmetrical relationship in some ways. I should also add that the other way it's asymmetrical is that, you know, I, I, even when I was, you know, even when I was young, I never felt plugged into my era. Like I don't have an mm. era of music just cause I grew up on classical music. So my era, it was 400 years old already. <laughs> so, <laughs> and same thing with pop stars and things like that. So I never really felt part of an era. And so part of what, dating a younger guy is for me is really kind of connecting like interview with a vampire connecting with the modern age. <laughs> and Trevor has taught me so much about that. I mean, quite frankly, and I, this is telling one on myself, I don't think I would be able to text if I didn't like younger guys because mm-hmm. <laughs> you either text or you die. And that's how I, that's how I initially got into texting was because that was the correct medium to make contact. Mm-hmm. And I recently talked to an 18 year old who was like, Oh my God, I hate emails. I hate emails. I'll just text you. Like they're going to text me 400 words, but because they can't email it. Okay, fine. But <laughs> I mean, I reserve the right to eye roll. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, sure, whatever. Fine. I, you know, and, and truth be told, I feel that way about the phone. You know, most hmm. people, a, yeah. a lot of guys my age and older are like, well, I'll just call you on the phone. I just call on my friends on the phone. Sure. Let me just talk yeah. to you on the phone. I'm like, mm-hmm. don't you dare. Don't you dare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm mm-hmm. with you on that one. See, it, it's, I've so run it's, into that. It's, I, I think it's, it's partly cultural, but I think very largely generational. So, you know, why is intergenerational dating a factor in the chub chaser community? Is it? Like, uh, are we crazy? I'm not sure it's, it's certainly not exclusive to us, but I think it comes up more often because uh, as we age, we tend to gain weight. So a lot of the chubs tend to be older. A lot of the chasers tend to be younger, although that is by no means universally true. Uh, there are plenty of older chasers who like, you know, fresh young chubs. Uh, that's it's it's not exclusive to that. But I would say that it adds to the asymmetry of the relationship if one considers an age to have a certain degree of privilege. I'm not sure that's true and I'm not sure which age it is. Like maybe you're more privileged as a 30 year old because you have a better income than a 19 year old. On the other hand, maybe being a fresh young thing at 19 or 20 gives you more status in a certain way. So I I think that's kind of back or back and forth, but I think it's pretty clear that if you're the fat person in the relationship, you have a, you have at least different power, maybe less power than the thin person in the relationship. And so I think these two things, age and, 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 uh, body composition, tend to exacerbate what could be seen as uh, oppositional forces in a couple. I know that one of the things that I've gone through is if uh, there's be like a a young, a hot young chub who's into me, but he has a real concern about showing up on a date in public with a guy as old as me. 
And I know there are older guys who, you know, want to date uh, a chub or a chaser, and they have concerns of being seen as a sugar daddy or as their biological father. Uh, I, I actually had a, I, I was on a date with, uh, with a cute young chub and I actually met one of my students, uh, on the, I mean, he was at the mall. We were at the mall and he's like, Oh, professor Oliverio, is this your son? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I just said, mm. Nope. And smiled and went on my way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so it was, it, it, it's not that it doesn't come up. I think it's, if you have a fear of this, you're not wrong, yeah. but it's nothing that you needs to get in one's way. And I think it plays into that power dynamic difference or at least perceived or felt in some way. And I think that is alluring to a lot of people. Like some people are very much, you know, I want to be on even footing all the time, every time, every second of every day. But then I think there's also, especially in the gay world, and I would even say, especially in the chub chaser world, where there is inherently this asymmetrical interaction that there is, there's a lot of like, not comfort, but there's a lot of like fun in sort of finding your role or finding your role with each other. And the idea that that isn't the same or it isn't on the same plane exactly can be fun to play with. And, you know, if you, if you let yourself embrace and that's a step for a lot of people, but if you let yourself embrace that, that can be, that can be really unique in a way for a chub and a chaser that it wouldn't play out that way for, to average same. I, I completely agree with you. I think that we have the opportunity in that asymmetry to occupy different roles, which is, I think what you're saying. Yeah. And the more variety of roles makes the relationship more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it allows you to feel like you are, I don't know, you can, you can find parts of yourself that you would never have necessarily explored if that hadn't been challenged for you in some way or hadn't been brought up in some really obvious way. I think there's something else that is about it. And I think it's pretty much part of the gay community. The age as fashion is very interesting to me because when I grew up, when I was 18 or 19, you know, dating somebody who was 30. Oh my God, that was over the moon. 30. Mm. So <laughs> old, so ancient. And, 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 and even, and it wasn't just me because part of that sort of late seventies, early eighties, aesthetic of gay life was that like, you know, if you were over 30, should you really be going to the bar, old man? I mean, <laughs> what are you, 31, 32, what are you doing mm -hmm. here? And I think gradually that got pushed up to maybe 40. But now, fortunately for me, the fashion has completely reversed where, you know, as being the older guy, older, old, older guys are in the gay community are kind of sought after and the whole dad bod and the whole beard and the whole, and daddy, good Lord. I mean, Trevor will tell you about being called daddy. <laughs> not, <yeah. laughs> anybody with anybody who's, who's not peach fuzz faced, it gets called daddy. I got uh, cause it's called such a daddy compliment. when I was like 22 <laughs> by, by a guy who was older than me. <laughs> So I'm just saying that there's there there it all it also goes through waves of fashion where being older or younger is is prized. And right now, yeah. as an older guy, I'm lucky that, you know, I've sort of ridden that. I was when I was younger, it was prized, and now that I'm older, it's prized. And that's just luck. That's I just goddamn I don't luck. know if it's luck. I remember there was a period like the metrosexual was the big deal, and that meant younger. That meant smooth and mm. cura uh, not curated. That's the wrong word. Um 
well, manicured. Man- manicured. Manicured. Yeah. And then a few years after that, as those people aged up, all of a sudden the fashion became the lumber sexual, mm. which now was older, but it was the same goddamn people that were hot. <laughs> you know, they just happened to age into a new group, and now that's the thing. I'm like, no, screw you. Fuck you. No. So what you're saying, Don, is that I've always been hot, and I just, I just got older. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's been you all along. It's been me all along. <laughs> so one of the things I was curious about, we talked a lot about like the dating aspects, but dating and hookups are not necessarily the same or the way that you interact with somebody. No, and like if all. you are right. And so if you're or not even just a hookup, but somebody that you are not necessarily planning on dating and maybe something develops accidentally. But what is what is the mindset of somebody who is approached like Don, I think you've mentioned this before, but like, what if you were approached sort of out of the blue by somebody who was like 20? Like, is that any different for you? Like, what is, what is your, I mean, it depends on context, you know, it's, uh, are we talking about relationship or are we talking about a hookup? Because let's say like your traditional, like bigger city message um, somebody's interested in you and they pass the, the, the rigorous testing that we all have of like, <laughs> how long is the message? Is it punctuated properly? You know, like they, they get through all of the filters. Yeah. Um, and after talking and you're more or less interested, it turns out that they're like 20 years younger. What does that feel like? Well, I mean, for me, I, I am an equal opportunity hookup guy. I'll be honest. Like I, I don't really care what your age is. If, if we're just going to be spending an afternoon or a week, a week couple of weeks, whatever. Um, but I, I don't feel like I put the younger guys or the much older guys than me through different hoops than other people. It, but I feel like I put them through the same hoops where can you carry a conversation? Do we have same similar cultural touchstones? Um, do you get my references? Do I get yours? Right. Um, I happen to be wildly immature. Uh, so, you know, I'm, (laughs) (laughs) I'm still a big geek, right? I'm a part of video game culture. I, I pay attention to, uh, mass entertainment, pop culture. Uh, so I can get along with people who skew younger than me, uh, more often than someone, you know, 10 years older than me who hasn't paid attention to any of those things, Mm -hmm. you know? So, for me, it's like I, I tend to think of it more of like, what cultural age are you? Okay, um, that's, so that's what, really smart. Yeah. yeah. So, so what on on? Okay, let's run with that then. Have you talked with somebody who everything else was like hitting on all cylinders, like sense of humor, looks, uh, intelligence, all the things that you value, mm-hmm. except for that commonality and in pop culture or sort of those sort of touchstones. Have you had that experience where it was yes. sort of partial? Uh, they, they were older than me. Um, they were lovely, but we, you know, conversation ran thin. Like, mm. uh, you know, we didn't have any, we didn't, we had a couple movies in common. Um, we had some politics and sort of religious comparative religion type stuff to talk about, but it, the actual, sort of thread that makes us up, there was something missing mm-hmm. uh, between the two of us. Like there's a way you communicate when you're use, when you're part of like a video culture, a video game culture or comic books. Like there's a sort of a, f- a more free way people tend to speak. 
than if they're an older professional person who's been dedicated to their job and their job makes up a huge part of their personality and that's where they draw their their force from. This guy was a lawyer and just like he was lovely and super smart and great, but we had did, no references in common. You know? Did you go on a date together? Mm-hmm. Did, and so what was that? Like, did it, how did that feel to you? Like showing up on a date with somebody who was older? Oh, I mean, I've, 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 the fact that he was older. Yeah. Did it have any, did it register at all? No. I mean, I mean, if I'm with you, it's because I'm interested to find out more. Uh, the number is, the number of your age is definitely one of the descriptor factors that I've got ticked off about you, but it's not a make or break in one way or the other, to be honest. Yeah. You know, yeah. But what I was going to say though, is I do feel like younger guys, I will put through an extra hoop because I'm paying more attention to that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm taking it less for granted that we're going to be able to have that exchange. I, I will say um, that when that, when that student came up to me and like said, Oh, professor Oliverio, is this your son? I had forgotten the age difference between me and yeah. my date. I'd completely yeah. forgotten about it. I'm like, Oh, so, I mean, I couldn't get mad at the student because like, yep, we are pretty far apart. I couldn't get mad at them for, uh, for observing something factually true, but I had forgotten about it. And I think that's what you're describing, Don, is that, that sort of sense of like the age is so far in the background sometimes. Yeah. It's sort of like the stuff that age is connected to is a very early door that you have to pass through to speak to me. And once you've walked through that door, I don't really pay a lot of attention to it anymore. Right. It's an early step in the relationship of that assessment. And then once that's done, it's done. I don't care anymore. I also think that filter is in place so early on. For example, if if a younger guy is interested in me, part of what they're interested in is sort of the age and experience and they like that sort of mentorship quality that I would bring to the dyad. Mm -hmm. And if somebody's not interested in that, they're going to avoid me like the plague because, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and vice versa. I, you know, if, if, if some, if some guy shows up as like a vapid 19 year old who just knows the top 40 pop songs and that's the extent of their education, I'm not that interested and we're probably not going to go on a date. Yeah. And I think it's also that different generations learn different social cues, Mm. right? Like we hold conversations slightly differently. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying all young people talk this way, the way I'm about to discuss this, but um, I've had this experience on more than two occasions where I've gone on a date with a younger guy. And while we were chatting via text, he was fine. He was great. Uh, But when we got into person uh, and it wasn't, they they expected me to do all the lifting conversationally, right? They mm. expected me to sort of carry, carry the subject, direct where things goes. And that's not the text we had. So right. I feel like we're having a, like my first thought is like, oh, well, you're not the person I was texting. But then the next, the, but the thing I don't always take into consideration is they are just playing, they're using different social cues conversationally than mm. they do text wise. I, I think it's that mm. and a little something, something more, something that I began to realize as I got older mm-hmm. was that a lot of the guys that I was seeing romantically, they had no experience walking into a gay bar and leaving with someone for the night. They had no experience generating a conversation from zero yeah. And even if you don't go home with a guy, just generating a conversation from zero because you're standing next to a guy at a bar. Most of the guys I was dating, they didn't, if they went into a bar, they didn't do that. They only went with their friends. 
And a lot of them never went to a bar because all their socialization was behind a keyboard or through text or through a social site. And so the that whole what you're talking about, Don, is mastering the art of conversation. And that takes practice. Mm-hmm. And, and if you didn't get raised in a conversational, a one-to-one conversational environment, you're not likely to be that competent in it. Yeah. It's just interesting to meet people that are more comfortable showing you their dick over mm-hmm. uh, digital than talking to you face-to-face. Mm-hmm. It's yep. very weird. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious because I, I have a very related experience to what you just described, but it's also quite different. I'm curious if Trevor had this same thing where because – I grew up with the internet um, and the only people that I was reaching out to were people that I would get to know online first. That's just how mm-hmm. it happened. Yep. And even if you did a video call at some point, you would already have text chatted much more so before that point to the point that you already knew each other. So when you meet in person, you already know them and there's all of that sort of initial conversation has been well taken care of ahead of time. And so it is different for me. Like I tend to be, I think I tend to be a little wittier over text, like just like quicker, but I mm-hmm. think it's because I'm processing less information. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm literally just looking at words and connecting jokes to myself. Whereas if I meet somebody in person, I have, I'm processing the world around us. I'm processing their facial expressions. I'm analyzing how it's going. I'm making sure that I'm not slouching or whatever. I I have so many more things going on that distract me that I don't, I usually won't take a stab at making a joke unless I am really, really, really comfortable with somebody in person. Mm -hmm. And so I just have a totally different way of interacting until I've really gotten to know you even beyond that first in-person meeting. Well, I think that speaks to the fact that despite appearances, texting is not a conversation in real time. True. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You do get a little bit, even if it is literally back and forth, you still get those extra few seconds to think about what you want to say. And I I love, (laughs) and you have to type it. I love one-on-one conversations though. I prefer those by and large. I, I have, sat and talked for hours and hours and hours and hours with any number of different people just having great conversations. And so I, I guess I bring that up because I do exhibit some of those traits that Don described, but also love having conversations with people. So it's, I feel like there is some other mitigating factor there. I I couldn't tell you what it was, but um, there are probably people out there who, who aren't necessarily exactly how they are in text, but can still dig in if you give them a shot, like if you yeah. stick with it for a while. That was it one is of the- an interesting phenomenon, and it's definitely a factor in the Chub Chaser community. Um, I've talked about it before. Like when I was in my 20s, I never met chasers in their 20s mm. ever. I only met older chasers. And now that I'm in my 40s, I never meet chasers in my age group. I'm always meeting younger chasers. It's the weirdest thing. I think that has a lot to do with how the community has evolved. Uh, Because, I mean, 10 or 20 years ago, being a chubby chaser had a much bigger stigma to it. Mm -hmm. A lot of things had a much bigger stigma to it. And so you kind of had to be older to have your shit together enough to ask a fat guy on a date. I mean, you could hook up with anybody, but to really ask them on a date. And now I think that's flipped. And now I think you have so many younger guys. I mean, Michael's a really good example of someone who kind of knew their taste pretty young and who enjoys <laughs> expressing it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that had more more opportunities to find it on the internet. Oh, it's that's hard for to sure. know. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think most chasers my age had no idea what that they were attracted to me. You know, bingo. Like, and, and the, and the online component, the online component is huge because, you know, I am not going to go up to a fat guy in a grocery store and try to make a move just because it's so hard given the social context. Like I pick if, if I if I'm a young gay guy at a grocery store in a young gay neighborhood, I mean, it's easy to pick up. It's easy to get a, a it's easy to hook up at a grocery store. That's not a problem or the ice cream parlor or whatever. If you're in a certain gay context and you both get that you're gay, it, it, everything's fair game. But if I'm in that same gay neighborhood and I'm trying to pick up a chub, no, it is almost impossible to get past the social context of who me, you couldn't possibly be interested in me. And why are you interested in me? Like there's a, whereas if we're on a, in an online context, it, 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 it's, it's easier because like I wouldn't be there if I weren't into them. Mm-hmm. I, I still, that blows my mind. The idea, I know that it is happens and is probably commonplace but just the idea of like literally hooking up with somebody that you met out randomly in a in a place i i I cannot wrap my brain around there was a grocery not part of my world experience no there was a grocery store in san francisco and it was known for that and this was the straight grocery store like men and women hooking up in the aisles of safeway in the aisle? Well, I mean, they're not having yeah. sex in the aisle, but that's where they're. That's, that's where they're the first thing my brain went to. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I said they're. Okay. I mean, they're not having sex there, but clean but, up in <laughs> frozen foods. Clean no, up in frozen foods very it quickly, was, please. It was just known, and it was just known that this particular grocery store in uh, it wasn't North Beach. Where was it? The Marina in San Francisco. And yeah, if you wanted a little action and you were straight, that would be the place to shop. Why do you think they call it the Piggly Wiggly? <laughs> wow! You jump chase a grocery store. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, go. Sorry, we could go on, but we won't. <laughs> Do we have a tip for the day, Trevor? Nope. Okay, we are tip free. <laughs> Your tip for the day is: if you're going to make an egg cream, try and find Bosco syrup. It's the only true way to make an egg cream. Oh. All right, I have a bit. So talking, since we're today, our subject was older and younger relationships, I figured we could take a moment to explore the older, younger relationship in our midst by playing a little bit of newlywed game with Trevor and Dan. Oh my goodness. Cue the newlywed theme. Michael, that's a a cue. And it's it's playing right now. Uh, The newlywed game is you ask a question about one of the couple, one of the people in the couple, and then they both put down their answers, one of whom is answering for themselves, and the other person is guessing about them. And then you get to come up with all of these hilarious disparities uh, between their own perceptions of themselves. All right. We have spent a couple moments where both Trevor and Dan have been answering a few questions, and mm-hmm. now we're going to reveal their answers. So tar- the Trevor, what is the thing you're most likely to end up in jail for, Trevor? Now, yeah. Trevor has written it down. He's going to hold up the little slip of paper, and I will tell you what that is. <laughs> Trevor is most likely to end up in jail for pantsing someone. <laughs> that is where you sneak up behind someone and you put the waist of their pants down to their ankles. Because they weren't wearing suspenders. <laughs> okay. So Trevor's answer is pantsing. Dan, what did you write down? Um, I wrote down 
pantsing. Oh my god, pantsing a stranger <laughs> that he thought was a friend. Yeah. Oh <laughs> we have one point. It is amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> Good job. I am that so proud so of both specific. of you. That's genius. All right. Question two about Trevor. Trevor, what's your most prized possession or the item you'd save in a fire apart from Dan? Oh, Alice paintings. Uh, yes. Cool. Okay. Well, so I, what are I, the Alice I paintings? I didn't really. Um, the Alice paintings are uh, by Betts Langley and they're in our stairway. And mm. I picked them because it's like if there was a fire, I think it's something that I could easily grab on the way out because it's in the stairway. <laughs> it's art. And <laughs> what I'm curious what Dan's What did Dan say? I um, barely I, know. I, uh, yeah, I was really Dan, what is, about what is Trevor's mo- most prized possession? Uh, I thought maybe uh, his 1001 Dalmatians book. Uh, 101. Oh, <laughs> uh, or, or, or 101. <laughs> it's, it's a sequel to the sequel to the sequel to the sequel. Yeah, there's been 10 times more Dalmatians. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, anyway, uh, a, a thousand. Yeah, it's 101 nights and 1001 Dalmatians. So I, I thought because he has a, he has a lot of childhood memories connected with this book and the story and the dog. Mm. All right. So we did not get a match on that one. Not quite. The final Trevor question. Trevor, what's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> nah. Love oh. will keep us together. Okay. <laughs> that is a great song. I would love to hear you sing that one day. Now, Dan. What did you think Trevor's go-to karaoke song would be? I, I, I had a feeling, because again, pop music, not my thing. So even if I knew, I wouldn't know the name mm. of it. Um, so I went for something that he's, he's had in his head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now you know what it is. So I yeah. went with Agatha all along <laughs> from WandaVision, because I've been hearing that nonstop come out of the boy's mouth. <laughs> That's fair. The, oh did you God, know there, there are was... lots of remixes of that online? Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, I did, Don. Ask me how I know. <laughs> just thought I'd share um, that with Trevor, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> now we've got three questions about Dan. Dan, are you ready? Yes, I know me. Dan. How well do you know you? Not well. What Disney character are you most like? Yes, yeah, see, this is one I didn't know. Um, <laughs> I, I I think we all get to answer this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not very confident about this and be, and willing to be argued out of it. But uh, I said Genie from Aladdin. Okay. Why Why did you go with Genie? I don't know. Just because he's big and boisterous and 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 says things that come out of his mouth. Uh, oh, you mean <laughs> like you? Yeah. <laughs> Trevor has just held Trevor up Genie. Yeah. Same answer. Out of well the hundreds done. of characters they could have picked. In my head, I was going with Gaston, but that's clearly a muscle thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and he's not actually like that. No. You could. Muscly? Yeah. But I'll take the compliment for the body. He's pretty muscly. <laughs> All right. The- Next question about Dan. Dan, what is, the, what is your favorite thing about yourself? Um... You know, I, there's so many wonderful things about me, Don. I didn't know where to start. <laughs> he is Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, what it's like to be you, Dan Oliverio. <laughs> Sitting um, right there on your couch. I went with um, just my ability to communicate. Ah, your communication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, how lovely and healthy and wholesome. Trevor. Trevor, w- what did you write down as Dan's favorite thing about I wasn't himself? sure what direction Dan was going to go in with this. So I, I said his brain. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I communicate I, in my mm. brain. Say <laughs> maybe a half sense. point. Maybe it's a half a point. It's a half a point. All right. Final question. Dan, what celebrity would you want to be stuck on a desert island with? 
Um, <laughs> he's just my current celebrity crush since we've been watching Heroes. Greg Grunberg. All right, Greg Grunberg. Trevor. And Trevor agrees. Greg Grunberg. <laughs> Trevor well, with two and a half out done. of three. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not bad, folks. You that's have better than fifty percent. As a as a yeah, as a group, you have three and a half points. That's pretty impressive. Yay. Tell us what our prize is. What do we win? <laughs> you win each other. Yay! <laughs> Congratulations. This is what I wanted. <laughs> so, what celebrity would you like to be stuck on a desert island with, dear listener? Hmm. Where could they tell us, Trevor? Well, we're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Um, Stitcher something. <laughs> uh, see links to the articles we talked about at www.bigfatgaypod.com. Yay. Um, yeah, that's a thing. Maybe you've just finished watching WandaVision. And there's a post credit scene. <gasps> and it's, uh, we're in New York City and it's uh, Avengers Tower. We go inside <laughs> and it's an Iron Man suit that's all, uh, let's say, like pink, pink and uh, neon green. Ooh. And it opens up and it's Michael. <gasps> and he says, <laughs> No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was Michael. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Me the whole time. <laughs>